Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, I am recording this, y'all. Oh, boy. I am tardy. Uh, I don't feel tardy, but uh, this is a very tardy 11.45 a.m. Friday recording. Uh, Let's go ahead and say a big thank you, as always, to y'all for sending in the questions that our pal Jerry Siddeth puts together for me and also to our partners, great, great friends, the Justice Brothers, for sure, their automotive chemicals and lubricants, something I have used since I started off as a young mechanic 37 years ago in open-wheel racing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Obviously, amazing, amazing folks who power USF Championship ladder of open-wheel amazingness, that being Cooper Tires. And then finally, our friends of Motor Racing Memorabilia, T-shirts, stickers, hats, IndyCar, F1, sports cars, you name it, torontomotorsports.com. So I'm, why am I recording this? I'm trying to get my lips to work here too. And no, I'm not editing any of this out. Why am I recording this so late in the week? Well, yeah, it's funny. I have a pretty good knowledge of what's coming. Not always, but pretty decent feel for like, okay, this team's going to announce this on this date and this driver confirmation is going to happen here. So why don't I wait for that to happen? And then I'll do the show and then I'll, get wind of another one or be surprised by one. Uh, and then, all right, well, I'll give that another day. And anyways, very long story short, here we are on Friday. I was meant to do this uh, a couple days ago, but here we are nonetheless. And so to my knowledge, no more driver announcements are happening this week. Was told earlier this week prior to putting together what I hope is my final silly season piece on racer.com that we could actually have the three final openings confirmed by the end of this week. We did have one in Augustine Canapino with the Juncos hauling a racing team, what I'm affectionately calling the team Argentina number 78 Chevy entry alongside Kalum. Good old Callum. I was thinking we would have the Oval portion of that number 11 Chip Ganassi Racing Honda confirmed alongside Marcus Armstrong. We expect that to be Takuma Sato. Thought that was going to be today. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen after I post this, but this might be more of a next week thing. Also, the expected confirmation of Stingray Rob at Dale Coin Racing. Thought that might have been this week think that might also be a next week thing as well. Nonetheless, we're super close to uh, being able to say our grid for 2023 is locked in and awesome. So, woohoo! Uh, where should we start? I don't know. Um, let me do this first. Yeah, uh, the official stupid sound of all Marshall Brewett podcasts. Let's start on this dive into your questions right after was really stoked to see canapino confirmed in that 78 hunkos hollinger racing chevy uh same day this being thursday a couple hours afterwards kyle larson confirmed aero mclaren chevrolet 2024 indy 500 wow thing that has stood out to me and i'm debating whether to drop this into a little commentary piece on racer 
Certainly not a universal take, but I can tell you, it's starting to piss me off a little bit seeing how many folks on the good old social medias, the Twitters and the book faces and the whatnots, just giving the Hunkos Hollinger team hell or Canapino hell, undeserved, ride buyer, just you know, also ran, just some variance on the who, why, what, what a waste. Often triggered by he is a 32-year-old human being who, to his great discredit, is not named Linus Lundqvist and much younger and Swedish. Some sort of damn you, Hunkos, damn you, Hollinger, uh, how dare you name a highly accomplished championship-winning Argentinian touring car driver to your IndyCar seat instead of Linus Lundqvist. And then the added, he's old, he doesn't have the appropriate experience, etc., etc. I get for those who love Linus Lundqvist, and I'm one of them, truly. I've probably written more articles about this kid's amazing and or get behind him and or he's getting screwed by Penske Entertainment and the advancement prize. We'll get to that in just a moment, but trust me, love the kid, want him in an IndyCar as much as anybody. He doesn't have any money to offer to make that car go. He's got 500 grand. Again, it's going to get him nowhere. That number 78 entry was looking a little bit questionable until government funding from Argentina was provided on the tourism side to make it possible for Canapino and Juncos and Hollinger to go motor racing together in IndyCar this coming season. Without that, I think that entry might have been taken off the board. Why? Well, the other option was Stingray Rob. And I know he was in the frame, but I also think he still might have ended up going with Coin if Canapino and the funding for him had not materialized. So if we look at Rob being the only driver I'm aware of left with real budget to bring, pretty much a JHR or DCR choice, and I still think he would have leaned towards DCR. Therefore, Without Canapino, without this Team Argentina, Visit Argentina program, I do genuinely believe their planned expansion to two cars probably would have fallen through. So we get an extra car in the grid, which is great. So that makes me super happy. We have, again, one of the, one of the if not the most highly accomplished race car driver in Argentina coming to make his big open-wheel debut. There was this super-accomplished touring car, high-power guy from Australia, champion as well, who I seem to recall came here to the States and walks around in, like, inflatable cow uh, suits and stuff and eats really hot uh, wings, and he's, uh, he's got a bus and he's a bro. A guy by the name of Scott McLaughlin, hired by Team Penske, 
with no real prior open wheel experience. Scotty has proven to be a mercurial talent. Let's just say that when he was hired, I don't know if as many folks are going, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Everything's perfect. But there was certainly a, I think a, a greater amount of, of reverie for that call. Um, I just, I'm finding it a little troublesome that as many folks or so many folks that I've seen on social media are treating Canapino like he is just hot trash, shouldn't be there and bad on Hunko's Hollinger racing for quote, signing him. The reality is, uh, there's a entire funding package behind him that no one else was bringing. And here's a guy with similar experience to McLaughlin. I wouldn't paint the TC 2000 series or whatever he's done as as highly competitive as Australian supercars. So I get that, but just saying, uh, for those who have a harsh opinion of what JHR has done here, just ask be a little bit open-minded. Why? These folks are living their dreams. That's the thing that stands out to me here. That's what resonates most with me. And again, if I find time, I'll write about it. Not every IndyCar decision, not every IndyCar driver is centered around world dominance, going to win championships. Everything's going to be the utmost of competitive from the outset. Uh, We need at least one, if not more, aspirational stories. It's part of at least why I love sport. The underdog, the person that's coming into their sport later in life, less prepared and really doing everything they can to measure up. Like This is that story in IndyCar for the year. So again, for the hardcore folks who only want to hear that everyone is a Ayrton Senna, Max Verstappen, Rick Mears, Mario Andretti. Okay. I want to give him a little bit of latitude here, knowing that he's trying to live his dream, as is Ricardo Juncos and having this Visit Argentina slash Team Argentina program. Uh, Larson, pretty amazing, right? Thing that I love there, my late colleague Robin Miller spent at least a decade yelling and telling everyone who would listen that this kid absolutely needs to be in the Indy 500. I know that Miller spoke with every major team trying to make it happen while he was driving for Ganassi, trying to get Ganassi to put him in an Indy car, talking to Penske, talking to everybody. Um, really stoked we're going to get Kyle here in 2024 with uh, the, the fine folks at Aero McLaren. And the last little bit of newsy news, and I'm sure you might have some questions about it for next week's episode. Uh, Indy NXT prize increases. Um, I'm not mad at it. I wish it was more, obviously, because we have a previous standard. Anderson Promotions combined with IndyCar put up about 1.2 million per season as an advancement prize for the Indy Lights champion. That 1.2 came with a guarantee of the Indy 500 and something like two or three races on top of that. So realize there are some modest fluctuations, but basically if you won the Indy Lights championship, you're going to do four Indy car races, three to four Indy car races with the Indy 500 being one of them at times. 
Anderson Promotions did the negotiating, right? Not only were they handing over the majority of the money, uh, they were putting in 700 ish, 720,000 of that. IndyCar was putting in a, a solid uh, 500 per year. Um, the change as Penske took over the Indy Light Series for 2022, for those who don't know the full backstory, was well, we're just going to put in the 500, the series prior to us owning it. And now that we do own the series, we're just going to keep putting in that 500 and the much bigger number, the 720, uh, obviously is no longer being contributed by Anderson Promotions since they're no longer involved in running the series. And we're just not going to bother filling in that amount of money. They said they would, told the teams they would in the first meeting with all of them, uh, then did not honor that, told them it would be 500, didn't really explain uh Many of the, the Indy Lights team owners, team principals told me uh, they were under full belief that when the series said it'll be 500, they were thinking, okay, well, that's 500 cash. Clearly, there's going to be the other 720 filled in with maybe an engine lease or tire. Some, there's going to be something to get it up to that much bigger number. Never happened. We've gotten halfway back, kind of. So an increase of $350,000 to the advancement prize for the first Indy NXT champion, $850,000 instead of $500,000. There's some tests promised in there, and there's also a promise of the Indy 500 and one additional IndyCar race. So it's not exactly 1.2 plus three to four races. It's 850 plus the Indy 500 and one race. All I can tell you is when I saw this come through email yesterday, just before I guess it went out in some form of, of public release, I thought of y'all and had great appreciation for y'all. You know how pissed off I was about this absolutely blasted Penske Entertainment when this news came out about what Linus Lundqvist wasn't given uh, after winning the title, have leaned on them as often as I could whenever there was a reason to point out their failures. Um, and y'all, many of y'all, have been just as consistent in applying pressure for them to try and make things right, at least going forward. There's a question about retroactive, which I'll get to here in the questions. Um, but I just want to say, for folks who don't believe that there are, are good things that can come from social media. And I realize I just cited all the folks who've been crapping on Hunko Solinger and Canapino. Um, this to me stood out as a great example of, hey, passionate, caring, angry fans expressing their anger and disappointment can at times affect change. It's also made me smile and feel a little bit more confident from the standpoint of, Hey, I'm not saying we did it. I'm not saying they made these changes strictly because of us. I can tell you they've heard it. I know that for a fact from us, but this gave me a little bit of hope that when demonstrated that they have pooped the bed, this is one instance we can point to to start that maybe they will consider making other changes that we consider to be uh, 
not in the best interest or not in the healthiest uh, manner of supporting IndyCar. So thank you to y'all and for all those who joined in and trying to let IndyCar know, Penske Entertainment know, hey, this isn't good. Do better. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get a real beep, 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 going here. Where do we uh, where do we start in this finely crafted uh, document sent over by our pal Jerry Sudduth? I would say we're going to go with our pal Matty McDonald. How are you doing, Matty? Oh, wait a minute. You're starting off the show with two questions. Wow. Almost like my reporter friend from Germany, Wolfgang Monser, Mr. Two Questions himself. Uh, Matty says, MP, loved your article about the Andretti GMF1 move. You say, racing in general seems to be in good shape. That said, I was doing okay at trying not to be too grumpy about losing the 2.4 liter motors and the state of IndyCar generally until this came out. Uh, F1 and sporty cars are going gangbusters and it's all good news over there. Because I, I can't get your idea of the open engine formula out of my head, but IndyCar's current authoritarian regime isn't even acknowledging the problems. Help me to find the positivity for my favorite series. Well, there are a lot of positives here, Matty. Keep in mind that, at least for what I think reporters, journalists, and opinion providers should be doing, you celebrate the positives, you highlight the negatives, and the stuff in the middle ground that just kind of meh, tend not to write about that stuff very often. Often, So it ends up being this kind of binary ones and zeros things. Yay, awesome. Holy cow, that's terrible. And so we haven't had racing happening for months now. We haven't had themes there for months now so the wow that was amazing look at that this event was huge congratulations or boy that drive by so and so or what this team did or the whatever we haven't had those so just saying on the positive side might have to do a little bit of recalibration here since i know i've written about plenty of the negatives during the off season it's because there have been plenty of negatives just i don't want to have the lasting impression be that it's all negative just have to realize there's been the absence of the stuff that normally gets us excited about indycar that we cheer and jump around and celebrate and meme and whatever and share we haven't had that because cars haven't been on track since early september so let me just share that as maybe a little bit of a, a mindset position to take yeah, there have been some really negative things to talk about, and it does not appear that IndyCar's ownership, again, delineating between those who own the series and dictate what's happening and those who kind of run the day-to-day -day operations, the Jay Fries and so on. Um, the ownership side, certainly, until we got to this uh, new Indy NXT improvement uh, in, in prize money and advancement stuff, yeah, there haven't been a ton of positives to talk about, but here are a few things that I'll just mention to hold on to. The racing, right? Yes, the cars are old and eligible for vintage motor racing events. It's true. It's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. Yes, the cars are ancient. Engines, ancient, everything. 
ancient, but we also have the best racing I can think of across any major series. F1 for sure. Uh, they got nothing. And on rare occasion, do they have a racer go, oh my gosh, everybody got to go tune in now or, or watch that replay. NASCAR, it's been getting a little better, I think. But yeah, they still put up a lot of snoozers. So that's not a series where I think a lot of folks go, oh gosh, cannot miss. IMSA, it's usually pretty darn good most of the time with four to five, three, four or five classes running at every event. There's usually something to enjoy, but if you're not a big fan of long motor races, maybe IMSA is not your thing, but I can almost always find something really enjoyable from an IMSA race, but none of them compare to the average Indy car race. So even though the cars are old, the engines are old, everything's old, uh, get your Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, Will Power, Scott Dixon, run down the list, Patos and Rossies, get all those knuckleheads together and wave a green flag and holy poopsicles batman that is pretty amazing so i would say hold on to that as the uh, if if seas are a bit stormy got it but man i know for sure up ahead it's going to be sunshine and, and amazingness once we hit the track want to talk tech there is a cool thing coming here uh with indycar's first significantly renewable biofuel uh more about that here to come uh, the hybridization i think that is even if it's not with that 2.4 liter engine even if it's sticking with the old 2.2 liter i still think there's some really cool stuff that's going to take place there still holding judgment on how much all that's going to affect the vehicular dynamics, right? So one thing about this new IMSA GTP formula, hybrid GTP formula, that's making its race debut in a little over two weeks at Daytona, uh, I guess two weeks in a day. Um, it has thrown the, the harmony and balance out from what we had for the last five years with the IMSA DPI formula i think of this when i do think of indycar and what's coming in 2024 with hybridization so from what i know having spoken with drivers and engineers and you name it on the gtp side maddie we could see some pretty crazy stuff going on why well the cars have gone up in weight about 200 ish 220 pounds with the plugging in of a uh, big battery and motor generator unit and all that stuff had a pretty decent downforce reduction too like many many percents <laughs> double digit percents like a lot uh, of downforce taken off the cars and the power has gone up so they weigh more they have more power the downforce has come down like wow the tires haven't drastically changed so what does that mean unlike the previous formula dpi where the cars were just magic to drive drivers loved them they just throw them around at 100 percent, not even have to think about it just beautiful behavior oh yeah so we now have cars that are significantly heavier in gtp make more power 
have way less downforce, right? Uh, these things are very hard to control. They slide coming into a corner, coming out of a corner, uh, way more than we've ever seen. And it's a bit out of harmony in that capacity. So instead of just seeing cars race around kind of glued to the track and, and whatever else I expect, and they expect to see things be a little bit wild. These cars are crazy hard to control, but you also need to be on the limit at all times, basically to get the maximum speed out of them. Sharing all of that to apply towards what is this 2024 hybrid IndyCar going to be in those terms? IndyCar is not planning on taking any downforce off of them, to my knowledge. There's no major changes in tire that I can think of. I guarantee you Firestone will do an amazing job at modifying them to deal with the added weight coming to the cars. We know that a lot of that weight's getting bolted onto the back of the car so could create some understeer situations more than ever and snapping behavior while cornering as the front finally grips and all that weight of the rear tries to come around like a big pendulum um is it going to make for more interesting racing to watch as these indie cars which are seemingly always glued to the track are fighting back more than ever making it harder to get speed out of them and causing drivers to have to hold on to a, a bucking bronco it's those kinds of things we know that's going to be part of the gtp world how much of that's going to be part of this new 2024 stuff that's coming so i'm watching some of these things um and then we'll also just close here on the things in terms of positivity. Um, we're going to have a pretty decent rookie crop coming into the series. Going to be fun to watch the Stingray Robs, the Canapinos, the Armstrongs and whatnot. Really interested to see how Andretti Autosport uh, becomes more sporty. Where is... Aaron McLaren going, are they just going to kick butt and take names with their new managerial structure with a big race engineer and technical director type and Gavin Ward being the overarching boss of the IndyCar team? What is Rossi's influence going to do? And it's a lot of those things too, where, Hey, we're rebooting AJ Foyt racing again. Uh, got some, really good youngish drivers and you know fresh engineering blood and old pal michael cannon so i would say thematically maddie and hopefully the rest of you yeah we're hoping the owners of indycar stop stepping on painful body parts don't let their frequent stepping of late be something to take you off of what's really think a bedrock part of indycar why do we love it many many reasons but at its core when that green flag waves we know 80 75 80 percent of the races during a, a season are going to be phenomenal and then there's a lot of the other little sub components that uh, we'll love too uh maddie you take us into our next question as well a friend recently unearthed a 2021 article uh about tony george approaching Michael Andretti to buy IMS before going to Roger Penske uh, made us wonder if 
Andretti considered purchasing the series as well. Um, let's say RP got the Speedway and Andretti got the series. How do you think we'd be doing on the series side? You say, I somehow feel an Andretti-run IndyCar would at least be willing to listen to criticism and acknowledge and learn from mistakes. And Maddie closes by saying, all the best to you and Chabrell and the cats. Thank you. Uh, hey, <laughs> want to guess who uh, gave the vet almost $3,000 this week for uh, dental cleaning and some dental work on Rocky and Rosie? Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, and But granted i mean it's yeah that's crazy uh and it's not like we go to some special place by the way uh and they charge a lot more like just yeah if you don't have pets and you're not familiar with some of the more expensive uh physical maintenance aspects oh yes um why don't we look at something very similar uh on the fun part and that is them being really high for about a day and a half from the anesthesia afterwards. So my beloved wife and I found one value in having to give so much money to the vet. It was Rocky can be a little bit of a jerk, right? Male cat. He thinks he's in charge of the world and whatever. Rosie, she is a high energy creature constantly, uh, always talking to us, always demanding of our time. Love them, obviously, amazingly, but they can be a little bit much. We just found the one value in this of, of having to fork out that much dough. Uh, and their teeth are good, by the way. It's not like they have bad teeth and we don't take care of them. They do have great teeth, but again, a little bit of work's needed every now and then. Um, getting to watch them come home basically stoned out of their minds. And they, you know, they walk fine and all that. You know, their motor functions were fine. Just their brains were on in outer space. Uh, oh, we just found endless amusement in their crazy behaviors. Rocky just turned into a little tank instead of being somewhat subtle and coming up and rubbing a, up against a leg or whatever. It's just like full ram power. Boom. Hit like head bashing into my leg or Chabrell, uh, my wife. His eyes are dilated like the size of a Cooper tire on a USF 2000 car. Um, he's mental, following me everywhere, right? Um, needing to jump up uh, just con on constant alert, full sentry for about a day and a half. And then finally, all that stuff came out of his system and he started acting normally. But just bashing into everything full like all he needed was like a little rifle to walk around with because he was just yeah he was in the military rosie on the on the other hand she <laughs> she went into this full routine non-stop for about a day and a half like you go like rose shut up wouldn't hear it as loud as could be crazy sounds and hollering that's the the cost to value benefit ratio we came up with uh but back to uh back to questions i i would love if someone like a michael andretti's organization or zach brown uh were to be placed in charge of indycar from say the ownership side uh fully decoupling that from the operations side with Jay and all that team. Again, I give them full credit, love them. I got nothing to say other than keep doing what you're doing. Um, when I look at something like Zach, 
going after Kyle Larson and making it happen. Like that's the kind of thing where you go, we need you with those kinds of ideas spread across to auto manufacturers, chassis stuff, aero promotions, marketing sale, like that kind of setting a crazy high bar. And I sent this little note to Zach. I basically said the same thing. I said, look, man, I'm not blowing smoke, but it's stuff like this where you go out and make big stuff like this happen. Like, how do we, how do I get you to run IndyCar, uh, own it and, and dictate policy? Cause these are the things we need. I'm aware that there are some other good things happening, right? Um, IndyCar is looking at some interesting tracks to go to. I've written about some of them before, recently, mentioned them, so that's not a totally new idea, but they are trying to expand IndyCar's footprint into new and more interesting locations to help, help grow it. But I don't know if Michael's a crazy big idea guy, but I can tell you that he has a lot of very smart, powerful, and influential folks around him that I would entrust IndyCar to and have confidence in them really taking it to uh, bigger and better places. I don't know if Michael had the money to do this when he was approached by uh, Tony George, uh, but I, that's obviously changed since then. Uh, I could be wrong on the timing of that, though. But between an Andretti or a, a Zach, Zach is more of a big-picture visionary guy. We need someone with big pictures and visions for IndyCar's growth and excellence. That's what I see is lacking. It's what it might not have identified that specific thing and things I've written or said over the last couple of months, but that's effectively it. Big picture, high aspiration, high bar, set a really high bar to do big things and then achieve them. Um, that being very different from, by and large, just maintaining the status quo, keeping everything you've had for a long time, and continuing to rinse, wash, and repeat. So, but again, this change to the Indian NXT prize award stuff, it has me thinking, well, hey, all right, so some criticism's been received and acted upon. Uh, hey, maybe this door could be open uh, to this happening more. But yeah, um, Big picture, visionary. These are the things that take IndyCar back to places it's been in the past and hopefully to new and bigger places. Um, I will continue to wait and hope that we hear more about stuff like that happening, Maddie. Uh, we're going to jump to our pal, the Maggie Kuhn. Maggie, how you doing? Uh, she sends in a note saying, how does someone become part of Will Power's team? umbrella holder drink getter just something to be part of it even more what is something i could do uh maggie for those of you who don't know is the world's number one willpower fan she and her awesome partner jeff uh can be seen at many indycar races with maggie sporting the big uh willpower head the the fat head or wherever she had that printed uh, of his big mug um I think you already do a pretty amazing job as it is Maggie of giving love to him and, uh, making sure, making sure for sure, uh, that he is loved and knows that he is loved for sure. Um, as for the 
actual physical job type stuff? That's a really interesting one. Um, there are a number of drivers who have personal assistants, personal helpers, supporters. And when I say assistance, that doesn't necessarily mean someone that gets them coffee and that kind of admin like you would see in a office type environment. You know, it could be assistant in terms of the food they eat, preparing their food. A chef could be physical trainer, could be, you know, more on the personal admin side, booking travel in this. A lot of teams do the majority of that, but there are obviously things in that general area where a number of drivers have folks they directly employ to do such things. Others, not as many, but others have uh, folks who they hire and employ to do their social media slash whatever video, photo type stuff, share that with the world. Uh, there are definitely some areas. The umbrella holder tends to be more of a, a crew-based position. Um, so that one might already be handled on the uh, William Jehoshaphat power side. Uh, would definitely, next time you, you see him, ask, like, hey, uh, is there something I might do for you? Most people tend to say no immediately, and then you say, no, don't say no. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Like, what are there things, you know, whether it's paid or volunteer, whatever, I'd love to just be more part of helping you to be awesome. Ask him. Um, he's one of the most thoughtful people that I come across in IndyCar, so I would hope uh, if presented to him in a very serious manner, um, he would provide a serious answer. And if he does indeed say no, just let me know and I'll, uh, I'll sock him in the nose. Um, and appreciate you, Maggie, if you didn't already know that you and Jeff, just thank you for being one of, of a growing number of folks who truly make IndyCar such a special thing to follow. Uh, Ryan Caminiti, uh, I got to throw it in here up front too. The Ryan Caminiti, this is MP, uh, with all these drivers getting set to take part in the Rolex 24, is this turning into an almost must-do as a tune-up to get mentally and physically locked in prior to the start of the season? You say, if I was an IndyCar owner, I'd encourage the participation big time. All depends. For the veterans, not really. They've been doing full-time motor racing for so many years that they don't need a warm-up tune-up and whatnot. The veterans also tend to be very busy during off-season, right? Whether it is going like what Dixon did down under, seeing family, spending a long time, whether it's New Zealand, also time in the UK, a uh, lot of travel, a lot of away time to recharge and such, uh, get ready for the upcoming season. But in and among that, a lot of time on simulators, right? A lot of time planning and doing strategy with uh, his Ganassi team, whether it's on the IndyCar side also since he's part of the Cadillac racing program in the uh, IMSA GTP class, right? Uh, there's no lack of staying plugged in, staying tuned up and whatnot. So he's employed, he's paid to drive for Cadillac racing. So he's there as part of job duty, all good. He's done that for many years. So that's just part of his routine. Without that, do I think he would be of the mind like, oh, I got to get to Daytona, 
It's not too long before the IndyCar season starts. That's going to help me get in the groove. I don't think so. Take a younger driver, possibly, or a less accomplished driver, IndyCar driver, probably maybe a little bit different. These days, still a lot of the same uh, simulator time and whatnot, but probably not as much vacation time and getting away. So I could see for some of the younger uh, single drivers or those who aren't married at least, don't have kids and a mortgage and all kinds of big uh, personal responsibilities to uh, to soak up their days. I could see some of the younger, um, less responsibility-filled drivers getting bored and just wanting to do something to get back into that groove. So there are no negatives here. There really aren't. Um, I would encourage all <laughs> drivers to do this if they could. And yeah, we're going to have a pretty amazing number of IndyCar drivers all locked in and doing this. Um, the other little note here to close. So what happens the morning after the Rolex 24 is complete? They all fly. All of them, if not Sunday night, they all fly out to Palm Beach International Airport. They all fly across country to Southern California. Media Day for the IndyCar Series starts on Tuesday. And so you want to talk about tuned up. Those who are doing the Rolex 24 are going to have an immediate turnaround to go out to my little home state here. I'll be doing the same, by the way, uh, and doing two days of media and then two days of spring training combine on track at the Thermal Club. So if anything, those who are doing the Rolex, then leading into doing spring training are going to come out of spring training, I think, saying, leave me alone. <laughs> I know that the start of the IndyCar series is basically... Uh, one month away, but leave me alone. I've just been super busy for almost three weeks straight. Uh, let me have some chill time. Um, let's go to a couple of questions. How many do we have? Uh, two questions here related to Michael Cannon heading to Foyt. Mike Jablo, you open up. You say, I'm curious what the backstory was about Michael Cannon joining the Foyt team. How did they convince Cannon to join? What do you think motivated Michael to move on from one of the top teams at Ganassi. Um, won't provide all the background here, Mike, just because, uh, as is often the case, a lot of things shared that aren't for public consumption. Cannon stepped back from doing full-time uh, on-the-road race engineering, what, uh, midsummer, something like that? Came back for the last two races, I believe, the, the Western Swing, and was not directly engineering any of the uh, four cars. He was just more than a support role and such. But uh, I think there was a pretty good understanding or agreement between both sides, the Ganassi team and Michael, that um, if he was going to continue there, uh, it was probably going to be more in a engineering R&D role back at the shop, more of a support engineering role. Um, and I don't think that was the team dictating that to him. I think he's just, I think the two of them kind of hit a point where it was like, okay, um, need to come off the road and uh, 
take care of some things. That happened. Uh, in the meantime, knowing that the team's uh, competition director, Chris Simmons, Scott Dixon's former race engineer, uh, who stepped up to that brand new role, which looks again at competition, all aspects of competition across their four Indy cars, uh, with Simmons stepping up to that role at the end of 2019, they hired Cannon from Dale Coin Racing, who came in to engineer Dixon. They won the IndyCar Championship first year out. Uh, 2021 still had pretty decent season. Things were going pretty well this year as well, but um, it's just a bit of a need for a change there uh, in day-to-day activities. And so Michael came off the road. Simmons as the most qualified person, stepped back in to engineer Dixon, uh, but that was never meant to be him staying back in that former role. There was a definite need for either Cannon to go back in, which, again, they kind of agreed, hey, we're going to modify your, your engineering contribution role here. And so coming out of the season, they went to the fairly familiar well, that being Dale Coin Racing, and uh, Ross Bunnell was hired. Uh, who was Malukas's race engineer, and so Ross is now uh, Dixon's race engineer. And so Michael had a decision to make whether he wanted to stay with the team, uh, but not on timing stands, basically, or not. And so, as I understand, uh, Michael said, hey, you know, I'm not done as a race engineer. I want to keep doing this. And coincidentally, uh, he really enjoyed working with Santino Ferrucci when he was ra- his race engineer at Coin, and with the Foyt team knowing, even though they often said they weren't, uh, the Foyt team knowing that they would be very likely acquiring Santino as a full-time driver. Um, I know that they had certainly the rumors were that they had been asking Cannon about, hey, uh, do you have an interest? If if and when you were to become available, would you want to come over this way? And so uh, with how things panned out, that is where Michael chose to go. So uh, if it was a driver other than Santino, do I think Michael would have taken the job at Foyt? I do not. Um, probably would still be at, uh, at Ganassi. So that is what I kind of sort of sort of kind of uh, think is the um the, the way that all that ended up happening um so that's the motivation side uh, dave heisen says there has to be a lot said about team chemistry say so what's your take on michael cannon going to uh, the foyt racing and what kind of relationship does he have with santino already covered that off a bit and you mentioned obviously they had a, a stint together do you think they'll have the same kind of effective production in this new cannon frucci 2.0 relationship there's great potential here. I feel a little bit like a broken record, which is why I'm pulling back just a little bit, not saying anything negative about this new arrangement there, but it seems like on an annual basis for at least the last three, four years, however many years, Dave, around this time, there's some sort of question of, Hey, the Foyt team's rebooted and they've got, name two new drivers and a new engineer or some sort of something that's new and hey and i mean i'm always optimistic things are going to work out Mm, yeah uh they have installed a new team manager in craig brooks 
he has a lot of experience. I don't know if I would say he's the most experienced IndyCar team manager in the world, so there's going to be some learning on the job there. Michael Cannon is certainly capable of making an IndyCar run up front, um, winning championships, winning motor races. What The last two Indianapolis 500 pole positions uh, were things authored by Cannon and Dixon together. We know what this person can do with the right tools and a elite driver. I would say Santino. I would not place him as an elite driver yet. And that's not saying anything negative. It's just we've seen a bunch of promising work from him. We've yet to see him win a race, stand on a number of podiums, and show us that he is among the elite. I think he has the potential, but again, unrealized as of yet. The the tools, the money, that's the part where that's been a limitation for the Foyt team for a little while. Uh, I think that has improved drastically with the inclusion of Benjamin Peterson as uh, driver of the other car and the, the resources being brought in there. I can tell you the, the mindset that I have understood is a bit of a changed one within the Foyt team compared to recent years. There seems to be a stronger emphasis, Dave, on let's do better, right? We always want to do better. We always try to do better, but let's make some actual structural changes in personnel and also, as they have done, being able to bring on some more funding to really take a bigger swing at this. If, this is a big if, if the Foyt team on the engineering front, on the managerial front, gives Cannon everything he needs, this team can go very, very far. There's a slight modifier to that. It is, I think, Cannon started work 12 days ago or whatever it was, basically start of the new year. It's not a lot of time to overhaul the engineering side. Think about when... Craig Hampson left coin and went to the team we now call Aaron McLaren did not have a lot of time to really sink his teeth in as the technical director and modify all kinds of things for the team to have a huge impact in that next season. He ended up having more time there than cannon will have had at Foyt cannons really looking at about two months uh, of work before we go racing whole R&D program, damper program, every kind of all the stuff you do during the offseason to make your cars faster type stuff. He's not going to have a ton of time to do much there. Might think, well, hey, isn't he leaving Ganassi? Doesn't he have all their setups and all their everything? I don't know what he has. I don't. would imagine they probably didn't say, hey, by the way, we printed off all of our setup sheets for you to take with you he knows has an institutional knowledge of what they do and how they do it, but different engine, right? Switching from Honda to Chevy, uh, different drive characteristics, uh, different damper program, different R and D programs, different everything. Um, this isn't a case of, Oh, the Ganassi guy went to Foyt. Therefore, therefore Foyt is going to become magic overnight because he's going to sprinkle Ganassi goodness there. It's much more a case of, I got to get in here, find out what you have, how you do things, how you don't do things, 
find the things that are working and amplify those, root out the things that don't make sense to me or haven't been successful, cure those. That ain't happening in two months, y'all. But I do expect this very good driver to engineer relationship to continue. So Michael's particularly good with working with young drivers. Um, just want to give them a little bit of, of runway uh, for him to get in and, and have a, a pretty big influence. Um, that's an understatement. So potential, we know what they can be. Just got to give them some time. Chemistry, just closing on that. Michael, granted, he can be you know a little nervous and knocking down about 12 cartons of Marlboros per day at times, but... Among the the funnest, friendliest, nicest, most beloved guys in the IndyCar paddock. And the Foyt team has quite a few folks under the tent who are just fun and boisterous and really great personalities. Uh, I would say the chemistry this past season was pretty good. I think it's just going to get even better with, uh, with Cannon there. Everything, though, comes back to if the Foyt team gives... Cannon, all the freedoms and finances that he needs to make them excellent, they will become excellent. If they don't, he's obviously going to do the best that he can. Look, he did some pretty impressive things at Dale Coin Racing, and they tend to operate on a ham sandwich and a, uh, a stale uh, fresca uh, for a budget uh, at times. Big potential here. Uh, another little component got to throw into, I'd say their pit stops certainly were improved last season. It's another area, though, that uh, I'm hoping they take another big step there because <laughs> you can have the best race engineer and best drivers in the world um, drop the ball on too many pit stops. None of that stuff matters because you just gave away everything you got and you have a poor finish. That story, unfortunately, was one that came to mind too many times last season and in recent seasons. So uh, that's another big area I hope that they're taking step forwards on. Um, where are we going next, friends? We are going to go to Thomas Gross. Last week he talked about the drivers and teams that you think will take a step forward. Seem like you named six to eight folks that you think will improve. Who are the six to eight that you think will take a step back uh, to make ways for the improving guys? So you, Thomas, are just trying to get more hate mail sent my way. Um, little sidebar, which I thought was humorous. One of the team owners texted me yesterday and asked for my address. And uh, I just sent a reply that said, uh, which one? The one that I use for you to send the hate mail to or the one uh, for nice stuff to which uh, they responded, uh, won't be any ticking devices in this one. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll give you the real address, not the uh, the one that requires bomb-sniffing dogs uh, to police. Let's see, who's going to make way? Oh, boy. All right, and I'm going to see half these drivers next week in Daytona, so granted, uh, I'm sure none of them want to listen to the podcast, but if they did, yeah, thanks for making folks hate me. Um, a step back, I'd put Will Power there. I know he's our reigning champion. And when I say a step back, I'm talking like second or third. 
Um, there was a, a weird year for a lot of drivers that helped Will to win his second championship. Um, very fluctuating fortunes for his teammate Joseph Newgarden, who won five races. Will won one. When you have a driver winning one, taking the championship, and his teammate finishing right behind, uh, winning five, it just tells you that driver had some serious fluctuations and adversity. I don't think that's going to happen two years in a row for Joseph. Uh, Dixon, he started winning in the second half of the season. He didn't have a bad first half by any means, but didn't have a great one. Um, I feel like he and Ross might actually combine to do some pretty big stuff here. So um, he's someone else I think might displace power as well. Uh, McLaughlin, I'm just reading down the, the, the finishing order in the, uh, the most recent championship. McLaughlin, I think he might stay right around there in fourth. Um, Palo, uh, he had a very weird year, as we know. Finally won a race at the very last race, but... I don't think he's fifth place material, so I think he's going forward. Erickson ended up finishing sixth after leading a lot of the championship after his 500 win. Um, Marcus might be my biggest question mark for the year. And so I know I'm going to get a what the F, bro, from him on this, but uh, I think he has the absolute potential to be another front-running championship contender type this season, next season, for many seasons to come. Only thing that scared me off of putting him higher, therefore he might be in the could he fall back list, is that close to the season was rough, right? 11th at the second NEGP, 14th at Nashville, 7th at Gateway, 11th at Portland, 9th at Laguna. When it mattered most to hold on to the lead, there was a pretty big fade there. And I'm not saying it's all his fault. Obviously, you know, uh, he's there are lots of things that, contribute towards a car and driver's performance or lack thereof but yeah uh i'd say marcus is doing one of two things i don't think there's anything in between he's either going forward or he's going backwards uh and like i said end of the season scared me a little bit uh pato and p7 uh he's definitely going forward rosenquist i think he might stay around the same rossi's going forward gotta believe that hurt is going forward gotta believe that Maybe my biggest question mark after Erickson is Ray Hall, Graham Ray Hall, right? Finished 11th. I would say I expect him to go forward for sure, um, mainly because they have a new technical director there, Stefano, whose last name I don't recall. If the influence there is as it should be, Graham is going forward. I think Lungard and Pagano and Malukas will probably go forward decently uh, in the pecking order, but I'm concerned for Ed Carpenter Racing. I know that their top performer was VK last year in 12th, so it's not like he's way up there and could get knocked back, but um, you know, is is Rosenquist someone that might fall back from 8th a little bit farther to make way for someone? Possibly. Erickson possibly someone to fall back a position or two to make way for someone? Very possibly. Uh, unless there, well, if there's some sort of crazy, we don't communicate gooder to each other between Dixon and Ross, 
I mean, that could go backwards possibly, but I don't see a lot of change, I guess is the real answer, which means I probably just misphrased or misspoke um, in the episode you're referring to. I think we're going to see a lot of shuffling of, of the same players in or around the same spots without many actually retreating backwards very much. Um, that's just all based on skills the team, skills the driver, and things working normally. You then have at times the, oh my goodness, the cartoon anvil just loves you and destroys your season. Like Ryan Hunter Ray had a couple seasons where you're like, oh my goodness, take away the cartoon anvil, and this guy's like top five. But he's nowhere near it because of that. Um, I see a couple that could go back, but I think what we're going to find is it's just going to be far more competitive for some who fell out of that big, aggressive, front-running pack. And so instead of it being like, oh, man, uh, Pelot's just, you know, had a terrible ear, I think it's going to be, hey, you know, is a Herta or a Lungard or a Rossi or whatever right up with him or in front of him, but in front by, like, two points. I think it's going to be more of that, more of this tightly clustered pack of talent in the top 12 than real big boom or bust big jumps or big falls i think we're just going to see more of restoration of folks going back to where they normally run but uh yeah just a, a tighter clumping as i think of cat litter of uh indy car drivers um michael steenblick Happy New Year, MP. Hope all is well and go. Hope all is well on the home front. I have a question about silly seasons and driver lineups. Do you ever recall a season change, end of one year to start the other, with no new teams that came in and no driver changes? Um, no, never. Uh, I am more than willing to say it has never happened in any car. And if I'm wrong, I hope someone uh, corrects me. Um, where do we go next? Where do we go next? Sorry, I've been tabbing back to look at email and, uh, yeah, gathering quotes for a, a story next week. Um, any word on Linus Lundqvist, our pal, uh, at F1 Henrik says, uh, none. I know of no opportunities for him whatsoever. Uh, I wish that wasn't the case, but yeah. Um, and I'm just looking here. I think there's another, you know, I don't know if it actually made it in or made it above the cut line, but there have been a couple folks who have said, so with this new advancement prize offered for Indian XT, so like they're going to do that and also give that retroactively to Linus, right? Not that I'm aware of. I'll reach out to him and ask, but not that I am aware of. Um, I'm going to fire through a couple more here, and then we will say farewell to the show. Uh, our pal at Indy Nathan says, um, with the recent legal news surrounding Andy DeFrancesco, that being the father of Andretti Autosports, Devlin DeFrancesco, heard any potential fallout for that number 29 Honda this year, uh, did ask the team. They said they don't think so, bearing in mind that whatever Devlin's dad might be going through, um, not related to the team. Um, my one takeaway is this could be wrong as always, but 
at least for the numbers that I read, it was something like the SEC and whatever um, going after Andy. I think eight million dollars is what I think I read about eight million in profit on something. If they end up finding him guilty and fining him, I mean, what's a fine on a eight million dollar impropriety if they find that it was an impropriety? A million, two million? I don't know. Is it eight million? I don't know. If it's eight million, that's a pretty real number. It's one or two million. I'm not super worried. Keeping in mind that the assortment of sponsors and funding brought to that 29 car, I don't know what the number is, but you know, uh, six, seven, eight million a year, whatever, would not be um, out of out of the norm. Um, I wouldn't think if this goes in a bad direction for Andy, uh, and there is a fine, I wouldn't. I don't know if it'd be enough to derail anything related to the 29 car. How most IndyCar finances work, it's a payment thing, right? So Marshall Pruitt has found sponsorship to become an IndyCar driver. It's crazy rare, almost never happens, where whether it's a driver paying the money or a sponsor, it's done in one big lump sum all up front. So the way it normally works is payments. Um, spread out throughout the year, however many, again, totally up for negotiation from team to team, drivers and sponsors. I would then say that if we're splitting a six to $8 million season across, is it quarterly payments again? I don't know, but if there's a hit taken, I would hope it would not be enough to derail the ability for Devlin to continue racing. I'm not getting into any of the moral stuff as for what Andy is alleged to have done, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm look, <laughs> knowing some of the things that folks have done business wise, uh, that impact motor racing or have been done in motor racing. Uh, that's, that's a whole different podcast for a different day. So, um, I don't think there's going to be any issue here if Andy ends up getting hit with fines or whatever else with that then potentially taking Devlin out of the 29 car. At least informally, uh, the team suggests they are going ahead. You know, there's no, this is not their quote problem. Again, it's not them. It's nothing to do with them. But um, I, at least for now, fully expect it us to see Devlin in that 29 cart spring training um, in just under a month. Um, what else? Uh, Javier, I'm not sure if I, I'll just go with JCH, Javi. I don't want to mess up your last name uh, any more than I might have. Uh, you say, as uh, someone from Mexico, it's super annoying to see Formula E can easily make a race in Mexico City with no local drivers. But Indy can't find a way with Pato. Anyways, do you think Rossi will bump heads with Pato and Felix like he did with Groschon? <coughs> uh, Felix is just a really nice guy. Pato's terrible. Um, kidding aside. Um, I'm sure they'll they'll get along just fine. I mean, keep in mind that you know, I'd say this is more of a Rossi thing than a Pato and Felix thing. I mean, Pato and Felix are basically best friends, hang out together all the time. They're brothers. 
Rossi, who's a bit older, you know, I think if he wants to, he can be. If he decides to treat them and, and act in that kind of way, if he wants to, um, as an introvert, I don't know if that is what Rossi will try and do. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know, but I can tell you that Pato in particular, who just wants to destroy everything in the world that's in front of him. He's just, he's a, a, a conquering minded driver. Uh, I know he will want to absolutely destroy Rossi at every opportunity, at least in this first season together, to show the team and anyone else looking in that he's the top dog there. Fairly safe in saying Rossi wants to do the same thing and show folks that just as he was the number one guy at Andretti Autosport for a couple of years until Colton came along, uh, he can still be that guy. Um all every driver every athlete that i know of that we would consider to be elite and you know among the greats they do this to prove something right they often love the sport they enjoy playing it doing it whatever else but there is a huge i need to show the world that i'm the number one that's their competitive fire so just share that javi because that's where the bumping heads can come in Right, that's where Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant uh, stopped becoming an effective team, and Shaq ended up getting traded because, despite being two of the greatest to ever play as teammates, they went from being functional to no longer functional. Um, this is a new scenario. We know Rossi can be a little quiet, a little icy, a little standoffish. Can also be big and fun and boisterous and playful. I don't know what version is going to walk into the building because this is the first time he's really had to do this in IndyCar. Walk into a new place, now as an established star, Indy 500 winner, winner of many motor races, high caliber guy, that this team he's stepping into uh, as an established star is one that already has a true established star in Pato, um, who is without a doubt their number one driver. I know he had to do that at Andretti, but coming in as a rookie without a lot of provenance behind him, who walks in to Aaron McLaren, right? Is this the, I'm a star and treat me that way? Or is this the, I'm going to be the super humble rookie like I was back in 2016? And uh, that's how I go about things. I don't know because I just haven't asked, uh, but that's a dynamic I'm truly looking forward to. Uh, Pato and Rossi bumping heads. If that is what starts to happen, that's going to be another thing on Zach Brown, also Gavin Ward, also Brian Barnhart to try and find peace and happiness there. Would just say, if we ever get to a Shaq and Kobe type scenario, I think we're going to have an exact Lakers approach to this with the uh, the younger star the one with the, the longer runway and the sport being Pato. That's the one they're holding on to. Um, at Christos, say, what is your opinion on Graham Rahal's comments that included you on the races podcast? So I have no idea what he said. Hadn't heard the podcast. I think I've admitted before. I usually don't listen to a lot of, or pretty much any racing podcasts. 
Um, big fan of the race, though, and Jack Benyon and Jerry Hildebrand, so uh, nothing but thumbs up for them. But So I rang Graham. I'm like, hey, uh, what did you say about me? And if it's bad, good on you. And if it's good, well, you know, that's not fun. Um, he said something about uh, schedules and other stuff and yada, yada, yada. And then towards the end, um, mentioned something about uh, we in the media, and I think he was meaning more about me, need to be really aware of the influence we can have and what we say and so on. So I think that might be actually most of what he said because he kind of buried the lead on the answer there. So my guess is it might have been something about uh, folks like myself uh, writing too many negative or critical things or saying them on the podcast. And I just reminded Graham, like things you know about me, but I'll reiterate them. I'm a glass half full guy. Uh, positivity is what I need. That's why the name of the official listener group of my podcast, the Prue day is modeled after my favorite WWE tag team, the new day. And their of their taglines. One of them is powered by positivity. So I am truly a person who's, view of the world, station in life, you name it, is all centered on positivity. Uh, I feel out of balance and not myself and not happy when I am not in a general place of positivity. Um, Also reiterated, I'm not an effing cheerleader. And it seems like more folks in the world are forgetting at a rapid race rate that reporters, journalists, writers, opinion providers, they're not cheerleaders, right? My job is not to say IndyCar is awesome at all times because someone might read a critical thing that I write and then have a critical view. This is not a PR machine myself, anybody else, and in any other sport, in any other discipline. I, I hate to say this, but it gets really frustrating when folks seem to forget that the role of a free media in a free society is to provide whatever it is about the thing as they see it. And so just as myself and others write complimentary and positive things about IndyCar, IMSA, F1, whatever, you'll also see the negatives. That's the way this works. And so I'll admit being told I, and I assume others need to remember in the media that if we write something critical, that could be very, you know, negatively influential. It's like, pardon my French, but no shit. That's what the role is. Plus minus cover both sides. So Anyways, um, kind of comes back to a place, Christos, of, hey, if you do things that are more on the positive and good side than the dumb and lame and, and poorly conceived side, in theory, you give them, writers, reporters, journalists, opinionators, and whatnot, nothing but positive ammo. So anyways, uh, and if I'm wrong, and if he said other things that included me, I apologize, but yeah, just really have not had the time to go and find it and listen to it and respond specifically, but Graham did give me some insights, kind of, sort of. Um, 
Big Nick's 12 asking if Canapino will hurt Hunkos. Um, hurt? No. Uh, will he contribute to the program in any significant way on the theme of, hey, they made great headway with rookie driver Callum Eilat, uh, and where would he go in year two? No, I don't expect uh, the second entry here to do much of anything for uh, the 77 car with Eilat because got a rookie who's having to learn more or less every track, oval racing, you name it. Uh, this is a a lost year if we're thinking about expanding to two cars and that second car contributing to elevation of the overall program. Um, let's talk at the end of the uh, end of the season and see where he is at. Um, you ask how long Eilat's contract is. Um, I don't know exactly. Um, I'm not sure if it's through 23, 24, you name it, but uh, I do think the contract extension that was announced, I think they said multi-year, so I assume it's through 24. Um, Ian Keyworth, you ask, what season would I want to revisit if I could? You say you'd go back to 93 and Nigel Mansell's Newman Haas versus Penske season. That was a really good one. I, I was there for the majority of that uh, through, I don't even remember whether it was the Atlantic Support Series or Indy Lights or something like that. Um, that one was really good. 94 was super good as well. I'd probably go back to my last season. I think it was my, yeah, my first and last season working in cart. That was in 99. Oh, that one was just mental, Ian, for sure. Um all right, we're down to the last couple, and hey, this is a longer episode than normal, so uh, uh, yay? I'm sorry? I don't know. I'm not sure which one I should give you. Rocky, how you doing, bud? He is currently jumped up on the desk. He's behind the mic and grooming it. I don't think you heard that, though, but uh, he usually starts chirping right about now, uh, saying, feed me, you moron. Uh, Kevin Frederico, how you doing, Kev? Say a bit of IndyCar mix with sports car for the question here. With the new Andretti Autosport and Wayne Taylor Racing merging on the sports car side as Wart? Uh, no, it's officially Rat. W-R-A-A-T. Wayne Racing Andretti Autosport team. Rat! Round and round. You say, will Ricky Taylor, Felipe Albuquerque, Philippe Albuquerque get a shot in IndyCar? Do you think James Hinchcliffe and Marco are in the frame for a GTP ride with Jared um, when the second car comes online? Um... No, not really. Um, I mean, Jared's program, Jared's program, I should say, uh, it's P3 for sure. It's not GTP. Uh, and I wouldn't really, th I don't, yeah, I don't think that's connected in any way to uh, what's going on with the uh, Wayne Taylor side. Would think we're going to be looking at two full-time drivers who would be the best assassin-esque uh, GTP talents they could find i would not look at the primary 10 car and whatever uh, new car new acura air x06 gtp might be in 2024 as a quote andretti car for andretti to fill drivers into um i would not think that at all um john sable you get the good old penultimate question here so it seems to be more and more shuffling of engineers in the paddock how competitive is the engineering arms race between team owners and our salaries on the rise? Oh, it's huge. Huh, it is huge. There just aren't enough badass 
race winning, championship winning pedigree engineers for folks to acquire. So it is huge. That is why AJ Foyt Racing getting their hands on Michael Cannon is such a big deal. Um, and that is not downplaying the pretty awesome work that Mike Colliver did for the team. Uh, Colliver being the kind of technical director and person to engineer the 14 car the last couple of years. Colliver is freaking amazing. Um, Cannon, at least pedigree wise, you know, uh, he's right up there. Um, yeah, it's a huge deal, John. Uh, there's a lot of money being thrown around. This goes to quality mechanics as well. Uh, so salaries are definitely on the rise. I feel like I might've mentioned in a recent episode, I'd heard that at some of the bigger teams with better funding and more hard up to find quality crew members to work on the cars that kind of the, the entry level position front end mechanic, um, or the, a front end mechanic, which tends to be the entry level mechanic job on an Indy car heard somewhere between 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year was being thrown around by some teams as a salary. Like, huh, Oh my gosh. I never made that much. And this, I realized it's 20 years ago, but I never made that much as like a team manager type or engineer type. So like truly bottom of the totem pole mechanic making almost a hundred grand. I'm not kidding. Part of me is like, I think I need to quit this media experiment and go back to what I used to do and be a freaking mechanic. And Rocky agrees. Thanks buddy. Um, yeah. Last little note on this, John is this arms race between top mechanical talent, engineering talent, you name it. Not only is it certainly taking place, but there is a subcomponent to that, which is since teams are looking across to one another and saying, boy, uh, we sure would like to get a hold of uh, that gearbox person there and this person here, there's a lot of, of internal window shopping going on. Um, there are a lot of contract extensions. This is uh, a big proliferation and new proliferation, John, of multi-year crew member contracts with non-competes, right? So no longer just the race engineer, team manager, driver, like big, wow, you're huge role and salary and we want to protect ourselves. So we're going to put a long contract in front of you uh, with a strong non-compete if you do leave. This is happening at the mechanic level as well. Has been happening, right? So it didn't just start today, but that really started to take off over the last season. Has only happened more, as I've been told, during the offseason where, yes, down to the Marshall Pruitt, you're the new idiot front-end mechanic on the Dale Coin Racing whatever. Look for an actual contract that has many years and protections in it for the team that is doing the paying. So that's the big takeoff. Um, the Zisu 33 at the Zisu 33. I wonder if this is a fine aquatic person by the name of Steve or someone else. 
AMP, with all the recent headlines about a possible recession, have drivers and teams found that this is impacting their ability at all to find budgets more so than in past years? Would say immediate term answer. So we're going to have 27 full-time cars on the grid, more than we've had in about a decade, I think. Was it 2009? I forget exactly, but in a good long while. That in itself tells us that we're doing okay right now. If we do get hit with a recession, that's where the first dominoes tend to be with auto manufacturers pulling out of the racing series they're in or significant budget slash and less of doing whatever they're doing. That's kind of the common number one play. Then the the knock-on effect more on the team side is the big sponsor that was paying a lot of money on a multi-year deal says, hey, uh, we either got to go or we got to renegotiate to a lower number. Um, Racing's been pretty decent as being recession-proof insofar that drivers bringing the budget to be able to fill in some of those missing dollars from other places during a recession tends to happen. Only counter to that is budgets have gone up enough in IndyCar and in seemingly every other series to where right now, even with the economy being okay, kind of reach the limit of the ability for drivers to spend and and pay to do a full season. I, I am concerned that if there is a recession, money from the family, whether it's just wealth that the family has to spend or business or businesses they own that they're willing to draw from and contribute using money from their business to sponsor directly those things could pull back a little bit and could that be a tipping point where there really aren't many drivers able to pay so we're okay now uh i am if we were to head into a recession, a real recession, something that you go, this is affecting everybody, I would have some fears. Uh, Going to mention here, Austin Sutton, your question about what I'm excited about for the new season. Uh, Kevin DeVries asking if any changes at Penske related to some of the non-perfect stuff happening there. Um, Cody Oakwood at Joris, John Wirtz. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, John Sable, you got another question here. Forever Cart, um, your questions are below the red line of death. If you really want them answered, send them back in for next week, and Jerry, drop them in if you can. Otherwise, uh, this is one of the longer shows we have done in a long time. I appreciate y'all. Uh, I got to go feed Rocky before he starts biting me, as he often does. Big thank you to y'all for sending in your questions, Jerry. Greatly appreciate you as we do Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. I'll speak to you very soon.